Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year coming up just in a couple days. It's 2020, and we're all going to get back in the gym, right? Um, for real, is there any, any New Year, New Me people like me that are ready to hit it hard? All right. We've got Kenny and a few liars. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the, the gym, the, you know, the hardcore gym people hate us, right? You know, the, the New Year, New Me people, they complain and say, oh, the gym's going to be packed with all these New Year's resolutioners. Well, I want to say something to you guys from me and the rest of us that we pay just as much as you do, and all year long, you got the place without us. And so we're going to be here for about three weeks, and then we'll be out of your hair, all right? But for real, it's, it's 2020, and, and a lot of people have good fitness plans and nutrition plans, and taking care of your body is a good thing. It's biblically a good thing. Paul says it's, it's of value. Um, but I was thinking, wouldn't it be a shame if we went into the new year with these great plans of the health and growth of our physical bodies, but not for the church body? That's what I want to talk about today. As we read Ephesians 4, we're going to talk about church growth, what that looks like. So you could up, open up to Ephesians 4. We'll read 1 through 16. This is the Word of God. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. We're going to be talking about what it looks like for a church to be growing. Church growth. And Paul, who we're reading here, we just spent some time in Galatians with him. He is arguably the greatest church planner of all time, right? You see him in Acts. He's planting churches. He planted Ephesus, right? But 
Paul is not just interested in church birth or church planting. We see here that church that Paul is concerned with church growth. Growth is important. Kenny's used the illustration recently of, of you know, a little kid. My daughter Evangeline, she's 15 months. If she stopped growing, I would be concerned. Growth is expected. Paul is concerned with the Ephesians, with their growth. And you see it throughout the whole text. We'll walk through it in a minute. But growth is expected. So I want to ask, what do you think of when you think of church growth? What comes to mind? For me, my mind is trained to think about church attendance, right? Like butts in the seats, right? If, if, if more people are coming, then that's church growth. Because that's usually how we measure. That's how we're trained to measure things, right? If we have, like I mentioned my daughter, we're going to measure how tall she is, how much she weighs. That's how we measure her growth. If you have a business, how are you going to measure the growth? Bottom line, right? Net, net income. If you have you know, a quarterback for your favorite team, how are you going to measure his growth? Completion percentage, QB rating, whatever. This is how we usually measure things. So we would measure church growth by church attendance, right? That's not what Paul is saying here. If you look through the text here, look, at, look down with me. Verse 12, he talks about the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13 talks about growing up into mature manhood. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. Verse 15, so that we may grow up in every way. Verse 16, the church building itself up in love. It doesn't seem like Paul is talking about church attendance, but the maturity of the church. He used the imagery of a child growing up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. The church growth Paul is talking about is maturity and conformity to the image of Christ. Now, does that mean church, that Paul's not talking about numeric growth or church attendance? I think this is a false dichotomy that sometimes we hold up. Is like there's growth in depth and there's growth in width, and you got to pick one. That's not what Paul is saying here. When the church grows in depth and maturity, the gospel's always going to grow in width. That's a guarantee. Acts 2, you see it, right? You see the, the early church, they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and you see a lot of depth there, right? They're growing in community and depth and, and love for God. And then the last sentence of that chapter says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. When believers grow in depth, the gospel always grows in width, and Depth is what Paul is talking about in this text. Maturity and conformity to the image of Christ. That is church growth. Do you want to grow, church? I want to grow with you guys. So I want to talk about how we do it today. And I think we find it right in this text. So let's look. Verse 1. I therefore, and we got to stop, right? I was, as a young believer, someone always told me, if you see a therefore, you got to find out what it's there for. And that always stuck with me. So we got to find out, what's he talking about? Therefore what? Well, this is a transition point in Ephesians. Ephesians is three, three chapters of rich theology, what God has done for us. And then it's three chapters of practical application, what we are to do in response. 
You know, Kenny said recently in the Galatians series, we will never correctly understand what we are to do for God until we correctly understand what God has done for us. So what has God done for us? I've been looking forward to to just giving you guys these, just a fly-through of Ephesians 1 through 3. What has God done for us? He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us as adoption as sons. That means we are children of God. If you're a Christian in here, these things are all true. This is about you if you're a Christian in here. He's given us redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We're forgiven. We've obtained an inheritance. We're co-heirs with Christ. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. This is all in in chapter 1 here. 113, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. Chapter 2, it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were, we were dead men and women walking. We were zombies. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. We were following Satan on the course to hell. Now we're following Jesus on the course to heaven. We were separated from Christ. This is 2.12. We were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, stranger, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. I remember a time when I had no hope But now, in Christ, we who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, chapter 3. These things are all true of the Christian. If you are in here and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is who you are. This isn't talking about somebody else who has it all together. This is talking about you, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, you could do it right now. It even says there in chapter 1, when, when you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There could be someone in here today that came in here not sealed with the promised Holy Spirit that could walk out sealed with the promised Holy Spirit with all of these things true to him. Call upon his name, and he will forgive you of your sins. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So this is what Paul is saying, therefore, for. This, it's, everything he's about to say is in response to what we just talked about, the glorious truths of who we are in Christ. So Paul is saying in verse 1 here, because all that is true, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, in response to all that, he's urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the church. And he's going to, the rest of the book, he's going to talk about what that looks like. And a lot of it is individual, but this section in particular is corporate. It's talking about how the church is to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And true church growth, which is what we're talking about, comes when the church is walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. So the question is, how do we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, right? we find two answers right in this text. This manner of walking includes, one, the unity of the Spirit, two, the use of the gifts. So how do we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? One, the unity of the Spirit. 
What is unity? The Greek word is pneuma. It means oneness. It literally means we are one. That is unity. Notice how Paul is not calling us to attain the unity of the Spirit. What does he say? He says to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Well, how does the unity of the Spirit get attained? Christ has attained it on the cross. That's one of the many things Christ accomplished when he died on the cross for us. Ephesians 2.14, if you glance over, you'll probably see it. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, there's that oneness, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Christ, when he died for us, broke down the walls of hostility and made us one, gave us this oneness, this pneuma. That's what we see here when it says one body, one baptism, one God, one Father. This is the unity that Christ has attained for us on the cross. And we are being called to maintain it. Paul is calling the church in Ephesus to maintain it. They needed this instruction. Ephesus was a big, large city, very diverse. Lots of different people, lots of different people groups, lots of different backgrounds, uh, ethnicities, opinions. So they needed this instruction. Do we need this instruction? Yes, we need this. The church in Ephesus desperately needed direction and help maintaining the unity of the Spirit, and so do we, church. Despite our differences, God is calling the church to maintain the oneness that Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Jesus prays in John 17 in the high priestly prayer. Check this out. This is, this is heavy. Jesus prays, I pray that they may be one, us, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus prays, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is praying that we would be one even as him and the Father are one. Wow. And why? So that the world may believe that God sent Jesus, that he is who he says he is. So the unity isn't even just about us. It's about God and his glory, right? God wants to use the unity of his church to display his great name in the world and the oneness of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. This is such a high calling, and do you guys see how important this is? This is how God wants to display the unity of the Godhead to the world. So how do we, how do, we do that? Well, Paul starts out by pointing us to the fruit of the Spirit that will equip us for this task, right? He says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. How many conflicts and divisions that we have could be avoided if we walked in these things? If we were humble towards one another, patient towards one another, gentle towards one another, bearing with one another. Some translations say putting up with one another. I kind of like that one. It's very realistic. Um, but this is what unity looks like. One anothering, Right? If you do a study this year of, of the one another's of, of, of the New Testament, there's 59 of them. We're called to bear one another's burdens, confess sins to one another, love one another, weep with one another. This is what unity looks like. So how do we do this when we have so many differences in opinions, so many different backgrounds, so many different stages of life, ages, uh, everything? We do this by clinging to the things that unify us, which far outweigh the things that divide us. If you're a Christian, 
The things that unify you to the people sitting around you far outweigh the differences you may have with them. You are one body with them, indwelt by the same spirit as them, having the same hope as them, worshiping the same Lord as them, the same faith, the same baptism, and the same Father. That means your brothers and sisters. We say that, brother, brothers and sisters, and I think we don't think about what that really means. We have the same Father in heaven. We are, we are blood brothers and sisters bought with the, with the precious, precious blood of Christ. The common bond we share through the gospel far outweighs the differences we may have. We are family. A lot of us just spend a lot of time with family. And, uh, you know, when you're family, you may have differences than the people sitting around your, your Christmas table, right? But that common bond you share as family, that blood you share outweighs those differences most of the time. How much more, yeah, right? I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to be realistic here. But how much more should the blood that bought us in Christ unify us and far outweigh the differences we may have in the church? Does this mean we're all the same? No. The Holy Spirit brings unity to us but not uniformity. The unity of the Holy Spirit is the one thing that can truly bring people together from all ages, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, all stages, all socioeconomic statuses. The Holy Spirit unifies, not homogenizes. We are all different, but we are unified in the blood of Christ. This is, I love, Paul uses this elsewhere in the New Testament. He says to live in harmony with one another. Any music people in here? So harmony, is everyone singing the same thing? In a way they are, right? They're, they're coming together to sing one song, but they're singing different parts, right? This is what it looks like to be unified. We have the same mission, the same God, the same baptism, the same spirit, but we're different. And we're being used in different ways. This is why we pray for and pursue diversity in our church. Not because it's a new trend or because it's a political agenda. It's because it's God's agenda. It's always been God's agenda. Since the beginning of the world, it's that every tongue, tribe, and nation would worship him. Here's proof of that real quick. Jesus says to pray that his king, uh, uh, pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Well, how is it in heaven? I just read it this morning in my Bible reading plan. Revelation 7. Every tongue, tribe, and nation gathered around the throne of Jesus saying, salvation belongs to our God. So if that's how it is in heaven, and we pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then th that would look like all different people worshiping God with one voice, right? God's name is glorified and the gospel is displayed to the world when his church, despite all of their differences, is maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, this sounds great and everything, but let's not get it twisted. This is not easy. It's much easier to divide than to maintain unity. We all have different opinions, backgrounds. We like different music. We think church should be this way or that way. We, like, we have different styles. We have different philosophies. It would be way easier to just divide over what, what we want, right? This is where those fruit of the Spirit come in. Humility patience, bearing with one another, kindness. Unity requires sacrifice. And if we truly want unity in the Spirit, we need to embrace the loving sacrifice that comes with it. 
A new friend of mine, Jamal Williams from Sojourn, uh, spent some time with him at the conference we went to recently. He put it to me this way. If we want to grow in unity and diversity, we need to be ready to lay down our preferences and take up our cross. We need to be ready to be humble towards one another, be patient towards one another, bearing with one another. And like I mentioned, 59 other one another's that we see in the New Testament. And I wanted to to throw this out there as well. These one another commands that, that we are given to bring unity to the church can't all be accomplished for 90 minutes on a Sunday. There's too many people. There's too little time. So where in your life are you able to to see this play out? Love for one another, weeping with one another, bearing one another's burdens, confessing sins to one another. Remember, we are answering the question, what does walking in a manner worthy of the gospel include? One, the unity of the Spirit. And two, the use of the gifts. And this ties right into the unity of the Spirit, right? We said, We're unified, but not uniform. Look at that transition verse here, verse 7. It says, it gives one one baptism, one, one God, one Father. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul is reminding the Ephesians that though we're unified in the Spirit, we're all gifted in different ways to build up the body of Christ. Each one of us is given different gifts. Do you guys know that? That means that each one of you in here is given certain gifts to build up this church. And you are gifted in different, in different ways than anyone in here. You are gifted in ways that no one else is gifted in here to build up the body of Christ. Isn't that wild? Who's the giver of the gifts? Christ, through the power of his spirit. And, and you see the, the little indentation there in your Bible. It says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. What is that? It's a reference to Psalm 68, which is a prophetic psalm talking about a triumphant king who leads his people to victory and gives them all the spoils. This is a beautiful picture Paul is showing us through this psalm of what Christ did, our our true triumphant king who descended to the earth, right? That's what we just celebrated at Christmas and now ascended, defeating the enemy, and now is at the right hand of the Father and lavishes these spiritual gifts onto us. It's amazing. It's awesome. Christ earned us these gifts. He descended to the earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and triumphed over the enemy, put the enemy to open shame by triumphing over him, and now ascends to the right hand of the Father and gives us these gifts through the power of his Holy Spirit. This is awesome. We love gifts, right? This is great. We see who gives us the gifts. How about why he gives us the gifts? Because that's really important too, right? I mean, how silly is it to get a gift and not know what to do with it, right? Why does he give us the gifts? To use them and to build up the body and to grow the church into maturity. Church growth is why he's given us the gifts. Verse 12 for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, so that we grow up into mature and manhood and womanhood. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro. Verse 15, so that we may grow up in every way to him who is the head. God gives us these gifts to grow us as a church. And he's gifted each of us in different ways. They're not just meant for us, but for the building up of the church. 
He gives us the gifts to use them. I, I, I just, you guys are probably going to think this is funny, but my wife, uh, for Christmas, I gave her a chainsaw because she loves doing yard work and cut. We got a bunch of trees in the yard that need to go. She was out there yesterday while I was working on this message, chopping down bushes. While I'm, you know, I, I, I wanted to be like, I'm trying to focus, but I'm like, she's, she's doing something that I won't have to do later, so whatever. Um, but she's a beast with the chainsaw. But I, so I gave her this big chainsaw for Christmas. Wouldn't it be weird if she didn't unwrap it? Or wouldn't it be weird if she unwrapped it and hung it on the wall as a decoration? No, she's going to use it, right? That's what God wants us to do with the gifts that he's given us. As a matter of fact, check this out. In verses 15 and 16, look down with me. We actually see that the church is dependent on us using these gifts. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So he's saying that when each part, when each person is using the gifts that they've been giving, the church will grow up and be built up in love. But the negative side of that is that if each person is not using their gifts to build the church up in love, then the church won't grow. Our church will be stunted. That's heavy. That means that each person needs to be using their gift if the church is going to grow properly. If you are a member of the body of Christ, you are a joint. You are a ligament in, as a part of the body. And the church growth will be stunted if you're not utilizing your gifts. So how do we do that in a church full of 300 people if everyone's gifted differently? This is why there's smaller contexts to do these things. We can't all do them on a Sunday morning. We, the musicians used some gifts this morning. I'm up here preaching. There's people serving. There's people using their gifts, but all of us can't use our gifts for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. So we have things like missional communities, like fight clubs, smaller contexts where people can use their gifts. And I was just thinking of the many ways that I have been blessed through ordinary people in ordinary contexts using their gifts in this way. I mean, my, I was just, I, I could give you thousands, right? I won't. Um, my, my salvation story started in a context of a missional community where I was lost. I was in the darkest place of my life. I was struggling with addiction. I was depressed. And the Holy Spirit, now I can look back and say the Holy Spirit had me get in my car and run to, to a community group because I was, I was hopeless and I didn't know what else to do. And I remember sitting around a bonfire. It was the fall of 2013. And people were sharing, and I just spilled my heart um, and just said, I don't believe in God. There's no way he could be real, and I could be going through, my family could be going through what I'm going through. There's no way he loves me. And they stopped what they were doing, and they said, let's pray for Gabe. And all these people gathered around and prayed for me and had words from the Lord from me, had encouragements for me. And I'll never forget uh, a certain couple. It was muddy. It was, it was mud on the ground. It was cold and muddy. And there was nowhere else to lay hands on me. And this couple got on their knees in the mud and laid hands on me. And I remember clear as day just the compassion that they had. I couldn't shake that. And, and you know, some of you guys know my whole story, but it wasn't until a couple weeks later in another setting like that where someone pointed me to Romans 6 and I went home and read it and the Lord saved me. That's, that's, that's very an ordinary night at community group, right? And God used that to save me. 
A few months later, I got into a fight club. And these guys were in this fight club, and they were really caring for me. I was an infant Christian, and they were helping me. And I was, I, I was losing the place I was living in. I was, I was broken. I had nowhere to live. And, and one of the guys in my fight club asked me, he, he called me and said, I cleared out half of my room. You can move in with me. A small room this guy had, he cleared out half of it and asked me to live with him for free. And that's where I moved in, right down the street from here. And that's when I really got plugged into this church. Here's a regular guy just showing generosity to me that made a huge impact in my life. So I was thinking, like, what if, what if those people stayed home from community group that night? Or what if, what if that guy never got involved in that fight club? Even most recently at, at, at our house, at community group, um, I was really struggling. I couldn't even put my finger on what the, the darkness and the dullness that I was feeling towards Christ. And, and a girl, very simply, just the Lord put something on her heart during a time of worship, and she shared Ephesians 6, and I just broke down. I mean, I, I was ugly crying. Like, I don't even know what, I, like, I was embarrassed. That's how bad I was crying. And the Lord used her just sharing what was on her heart to bless me. And, and, and it was a, a turning point in that dark season of my life. These are just a few examples of thousands of examples of what God has chosen to use to grow me as a believer. And there's millions of stories in this room, I'm sure, of that. And we're not talking about flashy, in-the-spotlight type of gifts. We're talking about ordinary people in ordinary contexts using their gifts to build up the body of Christ. Have you ever thought about the fact that the body of Christ is dependent on you for its growth? You may be in here and you may be thinking, I have nothing to offer the church. I'm not very gifted. Well, God disagrees with you. He says that you're indispensable and that you are essential to the church's growth. I love this quote. This helped me so much. This is uh, J.D. Greer um, talking about the body of Christ. He says, Paul uses the picture of a body as the church with Christ as the head, right? Now think about the body and the way it takes care of itself. I have a head and a brain that represents Christ. If my left elbow itches, it sends up a message to my brain and says, hey, I itch. What does my brain do? My brain doesn't send magic brain juice power down there to take care of the itch. Instead, what it does is it signals to my right hand and my right fingers and says, hey, right fingers, brother left elbow has an itch. Go take care of that. And that's how the body works. In the same way, when God has something that you are praying to him about doing in your life, he usually doesn't send down some magic power from heaven to fix it. What he does is he connects you to another person in the body of his church, and that becomes the instrument through which he works on your life. This means if you disconnect yourself from the church, you are disconnecting yourself from the power of God. God wants to use your gifts to build his church. Are you allowing him to do that? This is what Paul is urging us to do, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, in the unity of the Spirit, and in the use of our gifts. And true church growth will come when we are walking in this way, in the unity of the Spirit and the use of our gifts. And what is the result of this walking? The result is a growing understanding of Christ. And that's what true church growth is, right? That's what growth in our own life is. It's a, it's a, a, a growing in the knowledge and conformity to Christ. Look at verse 13. It says uh, at the end of 12, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. This is the goal, guys, to grow in, in our knowledge and our likeness to Jesus. The good news of the gospel is not just that we can be saved by Christ, but that we can be made like Christ. Colossians 3 says, we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Growth is expected in the Christian life, and growth should be celebrated in the Christian life. You know, like a, like a kid stands up against the wall, and you mark where he is, and then he sees that he's grown, and, we, and you, you celebrate that, right? We should celebrate when we see growth in each other's lives. Who's in your life that will celebrate growth in your life? Who in your life are you celebrating the growth of? And Another question, is there anyone in your life who will challenge you when, they're, when they don't see growth? You know, are you challenging others in your lives when you, when you don't see growth in their life? Growth is expected. And this growth comes not from us focusing on growing. It comes from focusing on Christ. It is the knowledge and the worship of him that will bring us to mature manhood and mature womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Knowing and understanding Christ is what's going to give us true, healthy church growth. And guys, I hope that we were able to see today that that goal is an all-hands-on-deck goal. We all need to be involved in that because we need each other. We just saw that it's not going to happen unless each part is working properly to build up the church in love. If we are truly going to grow as a church in 2020 and beyond, we need to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. How do we do that? The unity of the Spirit, use of the gifts, resulting in a deeper understanding of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, may it be so. Amen.